support your favorite charities with your own giving fund. The Catholic Charities USA Donor Advised Fund offers a simple and flexible way to give to the causes that mean the most to you. For more information, contact Francina Phillips Jackson at 703 236 6206 or visit www.ccusa.org to learn more. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Father Josh Johnson. He's the Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He's also the pastor of Sacred Heart of Jesus in Baton Rouge. He's the chaplain of Franciscan High and Vagabond Ministries. And he's got his own podcast called Ask Father Josh. You may recall I've had Father Josh on the podcast last season. I think we were talking about, yes, God is going to judge you for your tweets. In other words, how you behave on social media is not without consequence. Well, he's back to discuss his new book, On Earth As It Is In Heaven, Restoring God's Vision of Race and Discipleship. And ooh-wee, do we talk about Scripture? And if you like Scripture or don't like Scripture, I think this is the episode for you because we talk about why you should like Scripture. We talk about certain books in the Bible. And Father Josh also gives so many powerful stories and fascinating anecdotes about how communities have bridged racial divides. They are examples of authentic relationship building. And you know what? We can do that too. Even if we don't hear about these kinds of stories enough, I want you to know we can do it. And I hope that the stories that Father Josh tells inspire you, give you hope, and also maybe set out a roadmap for how we can build these authentic relationships so that we can have a church on earth as it looks in heaven. And I hope you find it interesting from a spiritual angle. And I'm sure there are going to be some who say, you know, it's also interesting from a sociological angle as well. So listen to Father Josh. I hope you enjoy it. I did, as you could probably tell, and I think it's really inspiring a lot of what he's saying. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. You may not agree with everything we publish or even everything we talk about on this podcast. And that's okay. That's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by subscribing to the podcast and getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Father Josh Johnson is up next. Father Josh, Father Josh, Father Josh, Father Josh. It's so good to see you. Glad to have you back on the Gloria Purvis podcast. It's always a joy to talk to you. I have to remember that other people are listening, so I'll try not to misbehave. <laughs> but, but we can, just, though, while you're playing, though. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's true, right? We're just going to do what we do, right? We're just going to be us. So, I, you know, I have to say, 
I read your book on Earth as it is in heaven a long time ago. And I just You were the first reader of my book before anyone saw you were the very first person as I was writing the book that I shared the editing process with. Oh, wow. What an honor. And of course, I endorse the book. I think it's so important. It's such a good read. And I think people often don't think about racism in the way that you talk about it. Don't think about the human family in the way that you talk about it. And in fact, you open the book with a really beautiful passage from Revelations. It's actually in case any listeners are wondering and want to go read it, it's Revelation 7, 9 to 12 by mm-hmm. St. John the Evangelist. But I'm going to read it anyway for those Come who on. just aren't going to run to their Bible. Let me just say it. It says, Behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I mean, woo, you know, every time I read that, you know, or hear about that read in scripture, it just takes my mind to a different place. And it makes me think of heaven. But Mm. one of the things that you point out in the book is you suggest that how we are here on earth doesn't always reflect this vision. Correct. And why do you think that is? Yeah, because we're not being obedient to Jesus. Jesus Christ was very clear with the church and in the scriptures, Jesus Christ tells us very clearly Right before he ascended into heaven, he told the apostles and he tells us, he said, go out and make disciples of all nations. And the word nations, Mm -hmm. it comes from the Greek word ethnos, which Mm -hmm. in our English means ethnicities. So the very last thing that Jesus Christ told the apostles to do before he went to heaven was go make disciples of all ethnicities. And those early church followers of Christ, they did that. Like they they spent time in prayer with each other in Acts chapter 2 and and they, they prayed for nine days straight. And then the very first thing they did when they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is they went out. They went out to people from Africa and mm-hmm. Asia and Europe, and they invited them to walk with them in discipleship of Jesus Christ. And the, the fruit of their ministry, it was so supernatural that when John the Beloved Disciple had a vision of heaven, which you just described from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, he literally saw people of every race, nation, tribe, and tongue. And so I think it's important for all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century to begin here, to begin with the word of God and to to examine heaven and then examine our geographical boundaries of our communities on earth and begin to ask the question, who are the people who live in my land? Who are the people who work in my land? And whatever that looks like, the people in my land, that's what my church is also supposed to look like. And so Mm. the church in heaven is diverse, then my church on earth should also be diverse. But unfortunately, we are in the year 2022. And the same thing that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said a long time ago when he did the Meet the Press interview, he said, it's a shame the the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings. Because many of us are not being obedient to the word of God. And I think many of us are not obedient to the word of God to what Jesus Christ tells us to do, because many of us don't know the word of God. 
many of us don't actually spend time. We, we have a Bible at home, but we let it collect dust on the shelf. We're quick to read a blog. We're quick to watch mm -hmm. a video, listen to a podcast, go to a talk. But to actually open up the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, the sacred scriptures, that is something that still to this day, many of our brothers and sisters in the church are just not doing. And because we're not doing it, because we're not opening up his word, listening to his voice, we're not doing his will, which is to go out to all people of every background in the geographical boundaries of our community. You know, when you say that, one of the things that a friend of mine said to me a long time ago about scripture, he was saying, you know, why wouldn't you read God speaking directly to you? Because he had you in mind. Mm. He said, he's talking to you. Why wouldn't you read it? He said, and when he said it like that, you know, song. <laughs> For a minute. Because hey. he, he wants to talk to us, but we ain't listening. He does, you know. And, you know, we talk about just for a minute. It's not like he's saying you got to stop everything you're doing. Just give me a little bit of time. And, you know, if you think about it, if we love the Lord, which we say we do, right? We say we believe. Why wouldn't we talk to him for a minute? How do we talk to people we love? We give them a moment. We speak with them at full attention. We, we're eager, actually. Some, you know what it's like? When you first meet somebody and you have attraction to them, now I'm not talking about romantic attraction. I mean, you meet people and you just like them. You're like, I, I vibe with this person. I, I can, you know, I don't mind being around them. You listen to them. You mm -hmm. actually look forward to an opportunity to talk to them because you're like, this is this is interesting. How could we not have that for the Lord? Just a little bit of time. This is getting off a little bit, but we're, we're good yeah. friends, so you can follow. But I yeah. have been spending time in the Old Testament with the book of Malachi lately. And the book of Malachi is so good. But in this book, God was talking to the priest and he told the priest in this particular book in the Bible, he was like, I'm so disappointed in you because the priest was supposed to offer up a sacrifice on the altar. And as you know, when you offer up a sacrifice, you were supposed to offer up the best sacrifice. But many yeah. of the priests, they realized, I mean, like if we give like one of our lame sacrifices, one of our sacrifices that we don't really need anymore, like God's not going to really notice. Well, God did notice. And God said, because you pollute my altar, with these sacrifices that you are offering, these, these sick animals, these lame animals, these, these animals that you don't want anymore. Essentially, he said, I'm going to take the dung from these animals and put it on your face. <laughs> okay, so for y'all know, dung, that, that, that's doo-doo, right? So, yeah, that's doo-doo. So God is like, he, he doesn't, he's like, y'all, all I'm asking for is give me your best time of the day. Seek yeah. first the kingdom of God. When can mm. you spend intentional, consistent time with me and open up your Bible then and listen when you're going to be most attentive to my voice? But too often we give God our leftovers. We give God our second best. We wait till we're super busy or super tired or super exhausted to try to read scripture. By that point, we're so distracted, we really can't pay attention. So if we give God our best time, if we do what Abel did and offer him our first fruits of our day, whenever that is for us, then we're going to be in the best disposition to listen to Jesus's heart. Jesus who speaks to us in John 17. And so the way that I'm going to do this is by listening to your word and by actually going out to all people. I really do believe that God's going to hold us accountable on Judgment Day, Gloria. And just yeah. like God said in Matthew 25, he said, whenever the people said, when did we like see you and not feed you? And when did we see you and not give you something to drink? And when did we see you and not give you clothes? And he says, like, when you saw the least of my brothers and sisters, what you did to them, you did it to me. I believe the Lord is going to say the same thing to us regarding discipleship. Yes. Because the yeah. very last thing he said in the Bible before he ascended to heaven was make disciples of all nations. And too often, especially in our church, we get really comfortable with like, I'll give somebody some food. But I would not invite them to my Bible study. 
I would give somebody yeah. a drink, but I would not invite them to my adoration chapel. I would give somebody clothes, but I would not invite them to sit next to me and worship God with me at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And God's going to say to us, why didn't you make disciples of all nations? We're going to say, but God, I had a thriving Bible study. I had a thriving parish. I had a packed adoration mm -hmm. chapel. You should see our soup kitchen. We were booming. And he's going to say, but why didn't you invite me to join you in fellowship? Why didn't you invite me to, to the sacraments of the church? Like the sacraments are what I've given to the church, and you never even thought to invite me to, to go to confession or to, to check out RCIA or, or to, to experience the, the Mass. And we're going to say, but, but God, when did I see you and not invite you? He's going to say, when you saw that person of a different race or of a different ethnicity, when you saw that person of a different socioeconomic background, when you saw that person who you happen to know, they belong to a different political party because of that sign and in their front yard, but they were your neighbor. And you chose not to invite them to a relationship with me. That's whenever you saw me and you ignored me. And you chose to not invite me to the greatest gift there is, which is the sacramental life of the church. So let me tell you something. This is where, you know, almost sometimes people feel like, oh, there's something behind your charity. Like you wouldn't do it if you weren't actually charity is a fig leaf. You're just trying to drag me into your church. I've heard that mm -hmm. from people. I had a girlfriend that was like, y'all can't, how come y'all can't just do charity without demanding that people come to your church? And I was like, well, first of all, nobody's demanding anything. Correct. An invitation is not a demand, number one. But there seems to be this positioning that charity should be done and that's it. But it sounds like to me what you're saying is, of course, charity, but charity without authentic relationship isn't really charity. Correct. Right? Because in the authentic relationship, the invitation is an invitation. They can accept or reject. It's not going to determine, that's not going to stop you from still donating and giving of your time if you serve in certain places, soup kitchens or maybe pregnancy centers or whatever it is. But the invitation is there. But how do people do that? How do people get their mindset to be able to do that? Because I think that is a concern. Like, is it really charity or is that just a fig leaf for something else? Well, no, it's both. And I mean, you serve people to serve people because when we fall in love with somebody, when we're captivated with somebody, we care about what they care about. And when we encounter Christ and fall in love with Christ, we will care about that which he cares about. And he cares about the poor, right? The most, if you look yeah. all throughout scriptures, he shows us that he always prioritized. He had, he had a preferential option for the poor throughout the word of God. And so when I am captivated, like before I was a seminarian, I used to date or whatever. If I was captivated mm -hmm. with a girl, if I knew she liked a particular movie, then I liked that movie too. I never saw that movie, <laughs> but I, I guarantee you I'm about to go watch that movie. So that way when we go out, we can have a conversation. Yeah. Oh, she read right. that book. Oh, that's a great book. I'm about to go read that book. And so the same thing applies <laughs> to our relationship with God. Whenever right. we fall in love with God, we're like, okay, God, oh, you're into the poor. I'm into the poor too, God. Let me go find the poor because that's what right. you love. And because that's what you love, that's who I love. So we love people regardless, right? We, we make a gift of ourselves regardless. Christ served everybody, whether they converted or not. But everything that we must do must be at the service of the words of Christ as Christians, right? As Christians, we follow Jesus Christ. And Christ did not just say, just feed people and let them settle for a meal. Christ wants them to have the sacramental meal as well of the Eucharist. And so he said, make disciples of all nations. He didn't say just feed them. He said, invite them to discipleship. And so the least we could do, if we really believe that that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, if, that, if that's something we believe as Catholics, that this is really is Jesus, then how could I receive such a great gift and not at least invite people to come and meet him? I cannot tell you how many times I've invited my brothers and sisters who are, are Protestant Christians, who are following yeah. Catholics, who are not even Christians at all, to an adoration chapel. Like you went to an adoration chapel whenever you were a Protestant, and they had yeah. a profound encounter with Christ. 
Now, I never, yeah. I didn't catechize them. All I did was bring them to the chapel and say, you want to sit here? It's a quiet place. It's peaceful. This happened when I was in Calcutta doing missionary work with Mother Teresa. I say Mother Teresa, her sister, she, she was dead. But okay. it, was, it was the sisters of charity that I was working with in Calcutta. And, and they were so beautiful. Every day, they had volunteers come from all over the world because everybody trusts Mother Teresa's sisters. So they had volunteers come from America, North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, all over. And they had volunteers who were Catholic, former Catholic, Protestant, atheist, agnostic, Hindu, all these different backgrounds. And so we're all volunteering together, serving the poor with them together. And every day after we worked, the sisters would invite everybody, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious affiliation, everybody was invited to the chapel. It was an invitation. It was a proposal. And everybody came. And right. day after day, I saw this Lutheran seminarian who he and I, we had a lot of theological conversations when we served the poor with each other about our differences of beliefs. But every mm -hmm. day he walked in the Adoration Chapel and he fell to his knees and he gazed at the face of Christ in the Eucharist. And it was like the most intimate gaze that I'd seen. And so after my time in Calcutta was coming to an end, I asked the Lutheran seminarian, I said, hey, bro, look, I know you and I got different opinions and uh, we have different beliefs when it comes to the Eucharist. But the way you were looking at the Blessed Sacrament during adoration, it communicated to me that you believe that that's something more than just a piece of bread. And he said, ever since I've been coming here to this chapel with these sisters in adoration, he said, my mind has been changing. And he said, and now I do believe that this really oh. is Jesus Christ. Right in the Catholic Church's understanding of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And they never once catechized, but he was invited to come. And I, I think if we could just invite people to just come and see, right? Just come and see, to invite people to that first mandate that Jesus Christ invited people to in the gospel. After the ordination of the apostles at the Last Supper, the very first thing he said to the apostles was, sit, watch, and pray, right? Before my body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Garden of Gethsemane. If we could just invite people to sit, watch, and pray, Imagine the supernatural fruit that can happen when we are inspired by that same Holy Spirit to speak with each other and to listen to yeah. each other and to yeah. abide in relationship with each other and to collaborate with each other with all of our differences, with all of our different gifts and talents and resources, with all of our different experiences to build an authentic civilization of love. What could happen if we actually did what Jesus Christ invites us to do? But I think there's so much fear in that, though, right? So two things. <laughs> we got to have us to kind of, okay, you know, invite other people. Because we can't invite people and we ourselves don't show up. You know what I mean? That's another thing that I think that's sometimes people are like, gosh, I, you know, that means I actually do have to regularly go to church. Or I need to Come on now. I might need to actually show up to some of the things that I'm inviting these people to attend. It can't be an empty invitation. You know what I mean? And I was thinking about also when you start to realize or just grasp that, you know, heaven ain't just for me. Mm -hmm. You know, heaven ain't just for everybody. Look like me, talk like me. Thinks like me, votes like me. Right. It's just not. I mean, the Lord died for everybody. When I say everybody, I mean everybody. It's so it made me think of this time when I was actually at church hanging out with a girlfriend who was answering the phones for the church or whatever. So we were in that parish office. It was on a Sunday of the last masses and said, but our Narcotics Anonymous used to meet at the parish. And there was a brother that came out that Narcotics Anonymous meeting that came into the office with me and my girlfriend, and he was having 
I would consider maybe was a crisis moment. Like he was just like, I got to go back out there, you know, and he had gotten out of jail not too long ago. And I just felt like he needed something. He needed somebody to let him know it was going to be okay. And I was like, it's going to be okay. What's your sponsor's number? Can we call him? Mm. Brother, you know, can you come back? You know, we have this young adult group. Why don't you come and join us? All these kinds of things that I sincerely meant it. But the look on his face of somebody actually connecting with him, not being Mm -hmm. fearful of him, not calling the popo on him mm. I, that's the police so people don't know what the popo is not calling the police the on him but just <laughs> right <laughs> but just being in connection with him and i so wanted him to come back and just be a part of a young adult group i don't think he was catholic he was just with the narcotics and yeah. group that was coming to the church and just wanted him to come back wanted him to know that there's a community here that we're here for you brother i never saw him again after mm. that but i felt like at that moment He had some hope. The world didn't seem so overwhelming or so fearful. But how many of us would really do that? Now, I'm not saying I was going to invite him to my apartment, you know what I mean, or anything unwise or anything that, you know, I was prudent. But I wanted very much for him to be a part of the community. So adoration leads to imitation. And we become like the one who we spend time with. And Jesus crossed cultural boundaries. Jesus Christ spent time with people who were far different from him. Jesus Christ spent time with tax collectors, He spent time with prostitutes. He spent time with zealots. He spent time with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He spent time with those people who were ostracized and disenfranchised and those people who were poor and lepers. He spent time with everybody and fishermen, everybody and their mama. He spent time with all these different people. He engaged in a relationship with them and he, he wasn't always received well. He was persecuted. He was misunderstood. He was mocked. He was cursed at. And so we will experience this too. He tells us, they persecute me, they will persecute you. But when I look at the lives of the great saints who have preceded us in our walk toward eternity, I see men and women who did what Jesus did. And yet it wasn't always safe. And some of them we now know as martyrs. Some of them are canonized saints. But they cared about other people knowing the love of God more than they cared about their personal safety, more than they cared about their reputation. They did not allow fear to dictate their decisions. They allowed the love of God to inspire them. And I'm not saying that God's calling every single one of us to every single day always go out and put ourselves in a dangerous situation and, and, and engage with people like <laughs> right. who might be in the KKK or whatever. Like, I'm not saying, right. but he might. you had to do. But yeah. I did it mm-hmm. and I did it. Yeah, you yes. did. Mm-hmm. And, and he might. And if he does call us to that, he will give us the grace to do it well. We'll be right back. So let me just back up a second. Who, like when you wrote the book, you know, you say it was, I think it was a labor of love, of course, on earth as it is in having, restoring God's vision of race and discipleship. Who was your audience? Who did you have in mind? Church leaders were my primary audience. And the majority of church leaders in the United States of America happened to be white. And Mm -hmm. so I wrote it because at this point, I've been traveling and speaking to different dioceses, parishes, religious Mm -hmm. orders, missionary apostolates. I've been speaking all over and I've been encountering church leaders who are not doing this work, who have a Catholic church right there in a predominantly black neighborhood. But when I go to visit their church, every single person sitting in the pews of their church happened to be white. And when I asked the pastor, well, did you ever go out and meet your neighbors and invite them? And the pastor says, well, I assume that they had their own community to go to and they might. <laughs> But can you at least go out and encounter them yeah. and get to know them, have fellowship? Because it's their church. Right. Because canon law says that a Catholic parish isn't just those people in the boundaries who happen to be Catholic. A Catholic parish isn't just the people who register and tie to your church. A Catholic parish is any person 
who lives in your geographical boundaries, whether they are Catholic, Protestant, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, or Jew. So those are your parishioners, whether they identify as your parishioner or not, they are your responsibility to go and abide in an intentional relationship with. It's so easy to travel to the other side of the world and do a mission trip for two weeks. Right. It's easier to, to do a fundraiser dinner, do a spaghetti dinner, and then go and spend two weeks and feel really good about yourself. And I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't do international missions because I think we should go everywhere and abide with every person. But it's easy to raise $5,000, spend two weeks in some other country, and then come home and ignore our neighbors, those people that God actually has entrusted to us in our boundaries of our community. So this is, okay, so gosh, so much to unpack, right? We talk about, because I know one of the things that you mentioned, you explain that relationships, our lack of relationship can create the conditions for racial division. Totally. But fear is false evidence that appears to be real. And when we get proximate to other people, when we actually begin to invest life with them, which is what St. Paul says we're supposed to do in the scripture. He doesn't just do a Bible study once a week. St. Paul says, I share life with you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, he went on road trips with people. He went on pilgrimages with the people. He climbed mountains. He went to wedding parties and he drank wine with them. He went fishing with them and he prayed with them and he taught them, but he actually invested his entire life with them. So he invested in life. And when we invest in life, we can see transformation happen. This actually happened up in uh, Arizona. I wrote about it in my book, but there was a school that was like half white, half Latino. And a bunch of white moms in the school said, you know what, let's start like a Bible study prayer group. And as they were diving into the word of God, they were convicted that in the word of God, like God wants diversity. He wants people of different backgrounds to come together. And so they were super intentional with inviting the Latino moms. The Latino mothers were invited with emails and with flyers and with postcards, and they never came. And so the white moms, they actually hired a social psychologist, Dr. Cleveland, and they asked her, they said, can you please help us to figure out why these other moms won't come to our Bible study prayer group for our kids? And she said, well, when is it that you meet? And they said, we meet on Thursday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. And she said to the, right, she said, what (laughs) is it about that time of the day that makes you think they don't want to come? And they said, we don't know. We just love our kids a lot. So we make time. (laughs) So she said, I'll tell you what, why don't y'all go to this Hispanic parish, go there for a few months. And after a few months of going there with your family, then reach back out to me. So for the next four months, five moms and their husbands and their kids of the original 25 went to this predominantly Latina parish. And when they went to this parish, they worshiped there in a language they knew not, but they showed up every single Sunday. Like, Good. And after about four months of doing this, they approached the moms after mass and they said, hey, listen, you know, we noticed that y'all don't come to our prayer group and our Bible study. Why don't y'all want to come? And the mom said, oh, we know about it and we would love to come. We just can't go at that time. 11 o'clock a.m. on Thursday morning doesn't work for us because we work. They said, yeah. oh, so if we had a different time, you would come. They said, of course we will come. And they said, well, what time works for y'all? And they had a conversation. They said, you know, honestly, what works best for us is 11 o'clock p.m. on Thursday evenings. And the moms, white moms said, okay, cool, we're going to do it. We'll host it at our house on Thursdays at 11 o'clock p.m. The Latina mother said, that won't work. We cannot come to your neighborhood that late at night. That is not yeah. safe for us. Not everybody from our community has that kind of transportation either to get to your neighborhoods. And so that's not going to work. And so the white mom said, well, would y'all be open to hosting it in your own homes? And they said, sure. And so every Thursday, 11 o'clock p.m., all these white moms went to this predominant Latina neighborhood and they began to have this Bible study program for their kids. Well, pretty soon other women in the neighborhood began to notice all these cars. Like, what are y'all doing at your house every Thursday at 11 o'clock p.m.? Oh, we have this Bible study prayer group for our kids. Other moms are like, yo, my kids don't go to that school, but I love my kids too. Can I come and join so we can pray for my kids? Yeah. So now other women in the community are coming to this Bible study prayer group. Well, pretty soon more women want to come, but they don't speak English well. And so the white moms are like, 
tell them to come. We don't want to put y'all to work. We will hire a translator. And that way we don't have to like ask y'all to translate for us. And as this is going on for months now, the white moms are saying, why are we having a translator whenever the apostles in Acts chapter two actually learn the language of the people that they minister to? We All need right. to get a tutor and learn this language. So then they got a tutor. Pretty soon, they're not just meeting every week for this Bible study prayer group. Pretty soon, they're going to the quinceaneras and they're, they're going to, to worship on Sundays and they're going to parties on Saturdays and they're going on vacation with each other and they're invited to weddings and they're investing life with this community. Well, now trust is established. And once trust is established because of the time they spent with them, the Latina mothers felt safe to tell them some of the ways in which the society was not accommodating them, some of the ways in which there were practices, unwritten rules that were hurting them. And so the white moms are like, you are our family. And so together with them, they prayed together and they discerned together what they could do to collaborate with each other using their gifts and their talents and their resources to work together to change practices and policies. And that's what they did. So wow. it wasn't just like a spiritual friendship, but it was actually a friendship that was rooted in Christ that transformed society for other people as well. And, and that's yes. the kind of stuff that can happen whenever we get out of our little holy huddles, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, that's, is that, because you talk about leaning in and being intentional. Oh yeah. And I imagine that there's some people saying, I, I want to lean in and I want to be intentional, but, but, but how do I even, how do I even do that? And also on the flip side, I'm listening and I'm like, gosh, if I start getting invitations stuff from white people, is it because they want to really know me or is it just that they feel like they got to check a box to meet this? You know, I, I don't want to be somebody's experiment. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So how would you give advice on both sides of that equation? That's a great question. Again, it comes back to the scriptures, right? It comes back to the gospel. What does Jesus tell us to do, Gloria? Jesus tells us to do this. He tells us to go out to all people. And so this has to be the fruit of our relationship with God. It can't be because I have this, this personal guilt for, for not having any friends of a different <laughs> right. ethnicity or race or socioeconomic background or religion or whatever. It has to be the fruit of our relationship with the Lord in prayer. Now, what can often happen too is this, is sometimes particularly like white Catholics who might hear this message for the first time, like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm becoming aware of something. I didn't know I'm going to reach out to just any black person. Like, right. no, you, go buy a book. Like go, go do, do homework, <laughs> right. right? Like put in the work of like going to the Equal Justice Initiative Museum and learning the story, right? Do the work of buying Father Cyprian Davis's book on the history of black Catholics. Do the work yeah. of reading my book on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Do the work of going to a predominantly black parish or predominantly Latino parish or predominantly Asian parish, Vietnamese parish. If you have like, but like do the work first. And then after you begin doing the work, go out and invite people to this relationship, right? And Black people aren't off the hook either. Black people sure, are called no, no. to go out and make disciples of all nations as well. Everybody is held accountable to the words of Christ, to go Amen. out to all people and to walk with all people, no matter how messy it may be, because this is what Jesus said to do. Now, there was an anecdote you shared in the book about Dr. Drew Hart. Oh, I love him. Could you share it? Could you share that here? Yeah, I can. So that's Drew Hart. He's a Protestant theologian. He's a Protestant minister. And one day he was hanging out with, he was actually invited to spend time by a white pastor in his community. And the white pastor said, hey, Dr. Drew, like, hey, man, can I just, I, I want to get together with you and just and talk about some things. And, and so they went together to a coffee shop. And so the white pastor pulled out his, his coffee mug and he's like, hey, Drew, like, you see this mug right here? I can see what's on my side and you can see what's on your side, but you can't see what's on my side and I can't see what's on your side. So you need me so I can tell you what's on my side, just as much as I need you so you can tell me what's on your side. And Dr. Drew Hart, he said something very profound. He said, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really need you to tell me what's on your side. He said, because I grew up going to a predominantly white school my whole life. And all my teachers in school were white. 
And when I went to college, when I went to seminary, every single one of my classmates were white and all my mm -hmm. teachers there were white. And all the texts that we read were from white theologians. He said, in fact, it was only because I was immersed in your culture and in your community that I was able to pass all my classes and get my degree. He said, whereas you don't have to know anything about my culture. We never learned anything about black culture in seminary. We never read from any black theologians in seminary. We didn't have any black professors. You weren't surrounded by any black community, in a black neighborhood with black classmates. You could actually go your entire formation without knowing anything about my culture. And you could still get the degrees that we both have. Whereas I had to learn your stuff in order to get this degree. So he said, so in fact, I already do know a lot about your culture. Now, he wasn't saying, I don't need you. He wasn't saying you still don't have a personal story. Right. You don't have personal experiences. And I think that if we want to do our best job to accompany all people in relationship with all people in Christ, then we need to invest in resources from more than just one source or one group of people, but be open to the wisdom from all people. Let's say you live in a homogenous locale, like maybe you in the middle of, I don't know, Iowa. <laughs> it's like, I just try to think of, or Maine, I think that's like one of the whitest states in the nation. I could be wrong mm -hmm. about that, but, but you know, and there is no diversity. But what can we, I, one of the other things I thought about is imagery. Yeah, totally. You know, one of the things I say, I call it that we need a psychological exorcism because we get a lot of conditioning mm. around goodness, holiness, and beauty in our country that frankly positions whiteness as perfection. It does. And it does impact how people see God, how people see humanity, how people see humanness, how people see beauty. And to have the fullness of what the church brings, that real beauty, that full expression of God's creativity in the human person, you know, you would have these different images. And it's a way, in my opinion, like I said, I call it a psychological exorcism. It's a deprogramming from the kind of conditioning that our country has had for centuries based on a flawed understanding of the human person, based on a very narrow understanding of human dignity, and frankly, based in a way to uphold racist sentiments totally. and practices. Totally. And so it has hobbled us, really. It has hobbled us as human persons to associate goodness with one thing and evil only with the dark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a student in our diocese at one of our schools who, at this particular school, they would go visit the Blessed Sacrament Chapel every day, which is a great thing to do, right? But in their Blessed Sacrament Chapel, every image of holiness was white. And the only image of evil was Satan. And he looked like me. He looked like a biracial man. Yeah. And the student for Black History Month wrote a paper about why she hated Black people. And she wrote in her paper that even in the Bible, everybody that is holy is white. Wow. And so where did she get that from? I think one thing that communicated to her was the imagery that she saw in her school, in her Catholic school. Every image of St. Michael in her school was of a white man with blonde hair, blue eyes, stepping on a black Satan. Every image of Jesus and Mary and Joseph were of white people. And so whenever the school invited me to come to talk to their faculty, I went to their chapel first and I spent time on my knees praying in this chapel. And as I knelt down in that chapel, I looked up and I was like, man, why is every image of holiness white? And why is the only image of evil black? And uh, so when I went to talk to the teachers, I said, let's do a thought experiment. And I learned this thought experiment from Bishop Edward Braxton. I said, what if this school was called St. Charles Luanga and the Ugandan Martyrs? I said, imagine if every day a different class in this school would go to the chapel. And the majority of the students in this school were African-Americans and the minority of students were white. All the teachers were exclusively black. When you go to the chapel for a prayer, every image of God the Father is of a black man with an Afro. 
Every image of Jesus Christ is of a black man with the dreads. Every image of Mary and Joseph and every single saint is a black saint. The only image in the entire church is of a white Satan with blonde hair and blue eyes being stepped on by a black Saint Michael. Now, the white students asked the black students, why is it like this? Like, don't they realize like how this appears to us? Like, why are the angels even depicted as black people? We know that angels don't have bodies, so can't you depict angels also as white people too? Why aren't we also represented? And the black students say, well, you should just see yourself represented in these images. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I said to the teachers, I said, as I walked to this classroom, do you know that I noticed every single statue and every single painting in this school of holiness is white and the only dark images are of Satan? They never even noticed it. Right. right. You know, but, but you know what they did? It was very beautiful. They immediately, within weeks, they repainted the statues of St. Michael and of Satan, and they bought diverse images of holiness in their cafeteria. They did a shrine to the Blessed Mother where they had every apparition of Mary from every different ethnicity. They had all these different saints. They had all these different pictures of holiness throughout their entire school of the entire body of Christ. And they did it within weeks. They also examined their handbook policy. Because a lot of handbook policies have rules against black women, against black girls, where they say you cannot wear braids. Gloria, you know that's a racist yeah. policy, right? And so this, yeah. this, the principal of the school, she invited black mothers and their daughters to sit at the table with her to read through their entire policy and to change the policy to make sure that those black students were being accommodated. They were not being discriminated against because before she invited them to the table to listen to them and learn from them, she wasn't aware how some of the policies that were written before her were actually harming them and causing them to get detention or get kicked out of school. But she yeah. did the great thing. She said, you help me. I need to learn from you how I can best rewrite this policy. All these changes and so many more happened all because they took time to listen. I know there are going to be people listening, saying, and they use this word derisively, oh, he's talking some woke mess. This is not really Catholic. And, you know, people be very uncomfortable feeling like, you know, you're just giving into the spirit of the age and that it's not really true. What message do you have for those brothers and sisters listening that are, you know, feeling that way. I would encourage them to fast from whoever they're following on social media, to fast from whatever TV shows they're watching. And in place of those TV shows and those podcasts and those blogs, read the Bible. Because if we read the word of God, everything that I say when it comes to this topic, and I'm not saying I'm infallible, but the message that I'm preaching is directly from the word of God, is rooted in our church's teachings. So If you struggle with this, then I encourage you to fast from all those worldly resources that you're listening to and get rooted in the word of God, because then you're going to hear the same message that I'm hearing, the same message that I'm speaking. It's right there in the sacred scriptures, and it's right there in all of our church's teachings. Oh, thank you so much, Father Josh. And I'm hoping everyone will run out and get a copy of your book. Thank you for your book. I mean, it's a blessing full of spiritual insights, everyday anecdotes, and a lot of practical wisdom Thank you. that I think people could read and follow. Thank you. On Earth As It Is in Heaven, restoring God's vision of race and discipleship. Get it at ascensionpress.com or on amazon.com either. And where can people follow you? I know you're on social media and you're just so wonderful actually on social media too. Where can people follow you on social media? 
Yeah, at FR Josh Johnson on Twitter and on Instagram. There are a few fake Father Josh Johnsons out there that are not me. I don't have a TikTok account. So though I've made TikTok videos with other people, I've never had my own account. So if you ever see a Father Josh Johnson on TikTok, do not follow that person. That person scams people. And again, on Instagram and on Twitter, it's simply at FR Josh Johnson. There are no numbers. There are no symbols. So there are a few fake accounts there asking for money from people. So please avoid those fake spam accounts and pray for their conversion yeah we got to pray for that conversion but thank you again thank you for your priesthood it's been a blessing to me personally and now i'm hoping all our listeners all the listeners here will find you and discover what a blessing you are too and i hope you can be that blessing for them as well father thank you so much for joining me again thank you you're a gift i love you very much oh love you too I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and, well, sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn and is engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.